You're listening to the Protecting Your Practice podcast with your hosts, attorney Dan Mayer and licensed counselor, Melissa Westner. Dan is not your attorney and Melissa is not your therapist, but they're here to help you cross your T's and dot your I's as they talk about all the things you wish you had learned in grad school. And now here are your hosts. Hi there and welcome back. Today, we're going to be talking about charting and compliance for companies that are in network with insurance. If your agency or practice takes insurance, there are some things that you or your organization should be doing to make sure that your charts are up to date and that you would pass an audit if you received a last minute notification. So this is one of those areas where it's kind of like a murder mystery. It's like there's a before, there's a middle, and there's an after, right? And we're going to be focusing on the before everything goes wrong. We're not talking here about what to do if you get an audit, okay? That is something that we will talk about at some point in another episode. This is really a conversation today about what to do to prepare yourself in your practice before an audit ever comes in your, through your door, okay? Now, the consequences here, of course, can be really dire for your practice, depending on what happens. This is why it's so serious, because we're all familiar with insurance companies and the idea that if there's something wrong and they do an audit, they can claw your money, claw money back. They can cause all sorts of problems for you. And that's true. But the other side of thing is, is that there is a real risk of fraud, which is a criminal <laughs> or a civil, uh, uh, a fine, um, criminal charges. And so you always want to be very careful when you're dealing with insurance companies, whether it's private or Medicaid or Medicare, um, that you're aware of what's happening in your files. This is part of your duties as a practice owner. Um, as a reminder to you, you're not just a mental health practitioner now that you're running a practice. You are a CEO. And even if you don't have your own practice, you're an employee at a mental health agency, you Correct. are still responsible for making sure that your charts are up to date. So. Again, whether you're working at your own practice or at an agency, this is still Mm -hmm. something that's going to apply to you. Yeah. If you're a staff member or an employee somewhere, okay, and you're at a practice that does have a compliance program, which we'll we'll talk about in a couple of minutes, um, I guarantee you, you're going to get a follow-up conversation with the head of that practice if you aren't doing what you're supposed to be doing. If you're the owner of our practice, then it is beholden on you to make sure that you and your employees are doing what you're supposed to be doing. You know, the horror stories, of course, can just write themselves and everyone can use their imagination. I'll give you one. Um, I have one uh, a while back where there was uh, something where the person who I, came to me and said, I got an audit. You know, can you help me figure this out? We said, OK, sure. We started going through, realized that they'd never done any sort of compliance. And um, there, in this particular person's case, it was private insurance, um, but they had billed, someone in the practice had billed for services that may not have actually happened. And while there was discussions about could the insurance company take back funds, there was about a 30-day period where we actually thought the criminal charges might be filed and that the state, Maryland itself, might start an investigation uh, and perhaps either bring civil or criminal charges. That did not happen in the end, and everyone breathed a sigh of relief. But there was a period of about 30 days 
where I think pretty much nobody slept and <laughs> got a good night's sleep. So the moral of the story, the reason I'm telling the story is just to relate to you. This is so important because the consequences could be severe if you're not careful. And you've probably heard some other stories of your own in your own community about some practice that had to return money to the insurance company as a result of failing an audit. You've probably mm-hmm. heard something through the rumor mill or by somebody that you know. Just to give you a different example, years ago, I was on vacation in Mexico. I'm visiting my in-laws. And this is before they had internet in my in-laws' home. And so if I wanted to check my internet to see, or my email to see what was going on at work with, you know, the agency where I was working, I had to go to an internet cafe. So one day we were doing a day trip to some different town. We saw an internet cafe and said, you know what, why don't we just go check our email? It's been a while. We haven't checked our email. So I'm at this internet cafe. I'm on vacation. And when I check my email, I happened to see that I had just received an email from my supervisor letting me know that an insurance company was coming to audit my personal files tomorrow. And I emailed her back right away and I said, can't you tell them I'm on vacation? And she's like, well, you know, they wanted to come today and we got them to come tomorrow. And so at the time... This was a drug and alcohol treatment facility, but we also offered mental health services. And I was the only clinician offering mental health services at that time, which meant that when they were coming, the only person whose files were going to be reviewed were mine. I'm in Mexico where I have zero access to my files. I can't check anything to see what's going on. Um, And so as you can imagine, I was feeling really very stressed out about this. You know, fortunately, my supervisor was in touch with me and I was able to find out that everything went fine. There were no issues. We passed the audit. But nonetheless, it was a pretty stressful situation. And, you know, so we want to make sure that if something like that would happen to you, you can feel pretty confident that, you know, your stuff is in order. Kind of I propose this to the people listening is if you were given two scenarios and one was, hey, you can have. A practice where you're not, you know, worrying every other day about there being a knock on your door, or not a knock on your door, but getting something in the mail that, you know, you're getting audited. Um, and even if it happened, you know that you have a reasonable chance of being okay. Or would you choose the path where you're like, you have no idea what's happening in your files. And if an audit comes at that moment is when you're going to choose to find out whether or not you're in compliance. Which path would you prefer to have? And that's really the goal of this conversation today. (laughs) And so we do want you to be really mindful that if you work at a practice or an agency that accepts insurance, or if it's your practice and you take insurance, we want to make sure that you understand that there are things that you want to have in place to make sure that you are being compliant. Historically speaking, I have reached out to a few different insurance companies in advance to say, hey... I want to make sure that I have your audit tool to make sure that my records are up to date and that everything that you're looking for is in my file. And in doing that, I've had some interesting responses from different insurance companies. One of them responded by saying, well, we don't, we don't really do audit. Not true. <laughs> yeah. And to which I replied and I said, no, I'd really like to see the audit tool. I need to know what your expectations are so I can make a decision about whether or not we want to move forward with 
you know, credentialing. And so finally, after, you know, two or three emails, that insurance company was willing to send me their audit tool uh, and a different insurance company. The guy was really surprised. He was like, wow, you know, you know, if you're asking these questions now, then you're pretty ahead of the game. Right. Which simply led me to believe that other clinicians aren't asking these questions, that they're not asking for these tools. And what he did tell me on that phone call is that if ever your files are audited, you never want to hand over your records without first going through this audit tool. So, you know, you're going to see different responses from different insurance companies. But at the end of the day, you want to make sure that your ducks are in a row. And so just knowing that different insurance companies might have slightly different variations on what they expect. But if you're going to be a network, then you need to know what those expectations are. So you you made a very good point uh, just now. And, and I'm going to tell you as an attorney uh, working with mental health practitioners, the, the, the reality is, is that just off the top of my head, I'm going to take a wild guess and say probably somewhere like 75%, maybe, uh, could be a little bit less, um, of practices out there are not doing some sort of compliance program. Either it's because more often than not, not because they don't want to, but maybe they don't realize they have to, they don't know how to do it. I really, it's very rare that you're going to come across a practice that's like, nope, we're not doing it. Like they just don't care because there's too much on the line if you're running a practice or you're part of a practice or you're licensed to not care. But majority of them either don't know how to do it or don't know to do it. And so I agree with you. And I agree with that, what that guy was saying, which is that if you're doing this or you put one in place now, you are ahead of the curve. You are setting yourself up to be have a much better experience, much more uh, better peace of mind if you get an audit um, in the future. Yeah. And so one of the things that I think maybe is important to notice, you know, I know a lot of times people who are um, coaches for private practice or group practices, you know, or just talking to clinicians. Sometimes you hear people bash community mental health work or their agency experiences. Um, and I feel really fortunate to have worked at a at a at a substance abuse facility for seven years because I feel like it really taught me about compliance and procedures. We were pretty regularly being audited by CARF, by an insurance mm -hmm. company, or by some other local organization that had authority over how we practiced. And so, in that sense, I feel really fortunate to have had that experience to learn about compliance and to regularly have people who were monitoring us to make sure that we were doing what we had to do. And so, um, I just want to put that out there because so many times I hear people have these negative stories about community mental health work when I think that there is a lot of value that we can gain from those experiences sometimes. Yeah. And one other point, obviously, and this is probably counterintuitive for, you know, people are like, duh. But, you know, obviously the concern about being audited comes when you are um, working with or billing an insurance company, billing Medicaid, billing Medicare, billing private insurance company. If you're doing private fee for pay, uh, pay uh, fee for service, I should say, um, it's just you, you're not, there's no one else, you know, it's just, you're just collecting money for private services. Yeah, you don't really have to worry so much as an audit. Um, as much as you still want to make sure your files are in place and, and up the stuff. In some ways, you can still benefit from having a compliance program because if you ever get subpoenaed, you're going to want to make sure those files are in place. So this is 
uh, I think advice that no matter what you do, no matter whether you work with insurance companies or don't work with insurance companies, you probably should be doing. But it's much more relevant, of course, in some cases for those who really are taking insurance. Right. There's still an element of what is the best practice. Correct. Yes. I think that the highlights that that we can kind of touch on um, are, are first and foremost, make sure you know the type of information that needs to be in your files and where you can get that information. So if you know that Cigna is going to require certain things if they audit you or Blue Cross is going to require certain things um, uh, if they audit you, you need to know that. The comparison I make is just as a practitioner, it is your responsibility to know how much CEUs you're supposed to have you know, to remain licensed, what are the things you need to be doing to keep your license? That's your obligation. It is also your obligation that if you're going to be billing insurance, that you need to know what are the things they're supposed to be going in that file? What are the things they're going to look for if they do audit you, right? Now, there are certain things across the board that all insurance companies are going to want to see, and that's true. We can talk about those today, but it is your responsibility to know Whatever insurance company or companies you're billing, you need to know what they're expecting of you. Absolutely. Um, then the other thing I would say the considerations are what are the steps, at least initially, um, because it can get very comprehensive. You know, best practice is to have a very robust, comprehensive compliance program where you're doing um, internal audits and things like that. But there are certain things you can do, um, at least initially or peripherally, to kind of help deal with some of this. So, what are some of the things that you need to be doing? before you ever get that audit, okay? One of the things I tell people is, just at a very bare minimum, is one of the best practices that you can do is if you run a practice, right? Like I said before, you are the CEO. So it is beholden upon you, or if you have a CFO or someone else, you can assign it like a clinical director or something. Somebody in your organization should be running quarterly internal audits, okay? You need to know what's in those files. One of the ways you can do that is you can pull the EOBs from the insurance company that you're billing that quarter, take a certain percentage, pull those files, and review them. Make sure that they're locked, that they're signed. Make sure that whatever you build the insurance company for, that information's in the file. You know, It is also a way, if you're a practice owner, to make sure that the people who are working for you are doing what they're supposed to be doing. So if someone is doing everything right and they're signing and locking files and are and they're untimely with it, putting their notes in and everything matches up, great, give them a panel on the back. If there's someone who's not, if there's someone who's constantly late on putting their notes in the file, that's a big deal that you need to deal with. Because if they're late, let's say they're a month out, every 30 days, they're about 30 days out on their notes. Well, in that time period, if you get an audit, and then you go and they go back in and start trying to lock and sign those notes, everything like that. Well, when the insurance company pulls those files, they're going to be able to see an electronic file when you started updating the files. There's going to be an electronic uh, date and they're going to know when they issued that audit. So it's going to look very suspicious. So if you have someone who's falling behind, now is the time to get them on track. Now is the time to press upon them how important this is and get them on an improvement plan. This is also a way for you to determine. Look, the reality is you run a business, okay? And at the end of the day, your duty is to protect your business. And if you have someone who, despite your multiple efforts with them to get them into compliance, to comply with your procedures, and they can't do it, then there's a discussion you might have to have about whether you need to separate them from employment or terminate their contract. 
But now is the time to start figuring that out. If you're a practitioner who doesn't own a practice, but you work for a practice, this is on you. You are that person who now needs to make sure that you get your notes on on time. If you bill for something, you better make sure that you are noting the file correctly, you know, and you're in your and everything matches up. You need to make sure that you are locking and signing those files. Do it as a matter of being an ethical practitioner, right? Even if it's not your practice, oh, it's not my responsibility. It is responsibility because you are licensed. This is what is expected of you as an ethical practitioner. So get in the habit of doing it. Um, that, that's, you know, that's the bare minimum I think you can do. And if you do that over the course of several quarters, whether as a practice owner or as a practitioner, if you're a practitioner, you'll get in the habit of doing it and then become much better about it. If you're a practice owner, I guarantee you that over the course of several quarters, if you start implementing this, you will, first of all, you will find things that you will need to fix probably. Okay. But if you get those fixed and you get things in place within a couple quarters, your file should be in pretty good order because now you have a compliance program, a bare minimum uh, compliance program that's allowing you to figure out who's doing what, who's not doing it, what needs to be fixed so that the next time or if you get an audit from Cigna or Blue Cross or any other insurance company, when that thing comes in the mail or you get that phone call and you say, okay. I know with a reasonable certainty, because I've been doing auditing of our files internally, that our files are in pretty good order. So I am okay with handing these files. Maybe there might be a couple courses of correction they want us to make, but we're not going to worry about necessarily have to worry about them demanding money back. I think, based on my own experience with practitioners, that a lot of practitioners in the back of their minds, this is a fear for them because they don't have that answer. Because if you ask them what are in your files, are your files up to snuff? Are they locked? Are they signed? Is what's supposed to be in there in there? They can't tell you within a reasonable degree of certainty that that's the case. And I'm going to tell you that that's something, if that is true for you, that's your warning sign. That's your warning sign. That's how you know you need to start doing this. Because I guarantee you, I promise you, if you do this and you do get an audit, I'm not saying that they won't find things wrong or they won't come back to you with course corrections. But what I am saying is that at least you'll have a bit better peace of mind knowing that you know what's in those files. Yeah. And doing an internal audit doesn't have to be complicated. So just remember that it doesn't have to be a complicated process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and look, there are there are entire companies that do auditing that come in and audit practices for them. OK, private companies. There are entire policies and procedures and and steps you can take you know this can be as elaborate as you want but what we're talking about right now just for your purposes is the bare minimum okay best practices there's a lot more you can do um and so you can certainly consult with an attorney like me or there are private companies that like i said you can hire to help you kind of get yourself compliance um but at the very very minimum what we're talking about is if you do nothing else make sure that you're at least aware of your files and are doing some sort of review of the work that your staff is doing, you know, so that you are on top of it. So you're not scrambling to try to fix things in light of an audit. Right. And to give you an example um, that I've seen before, one option is just to take the audit tool that you have. So, for example, if you have an audit tool from an insurance company, not mm -hmm. because they're auditing you, but just because you want to double check yourself, mm -hmm. um, you can, you know, I've seen agencies say all of you need to go through, use this audit tool, 
check all of your records, make sure this stuff is in there. If it's not in there, then you need to make sure that whatever needs to be in there is up to par. Um, and then there's a cross-reference where we were assigned another clinician's caseload and we had to go through that person's stuff to make sure that they had everything in there. And if it wasn't, we had to document that so that person could make sure that the information was in the file. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a simple process. It doesn't have to be very complicated, but it's a way of making sure that things that need to be in the file are in fact in the file. And it also puts it in the back of your head. Oh yes, you have to make sure that these things are in the record. Um, and like, like you said, Dan, you'll usually, even if you think that you have everything going through that process, you'll usually find that there's something that you missed um, that needs to be right. there. Even if you think that you're just really good about covering all those bases, you'll usually find that there's, you know, something that you missed um, that you can fix then. Well, and the good news about that is, look, is it is better to find that out now, right, than to submit your files or have an insurance company in, you know, come in to go through your files and find it and come back to you and say, so you build for a treatment plan that never happened, right? That's a really big deal when something like that happened. So, you know, it's better for you to figure that out now, get your house in order now, so that later on, you know, you're not pulling your hair out, right? Yeah, I'm not saying it's not stressful when you get a notice of an audit, no matter what, okay? That is true. Everybody is stressed out when you get an audit, regardless of whether you have a compliance program. It's stressful. You have someone now coming in looking over your shoulder. That's not easy, but it's going to make your life so much better if you can at least have some reasonable assurance that, hey, I know my staff is doing the right job. I know that we've put course corrections in place for the for the staff members who are not were not doing it. They're now doing it. And we're, you know, and, and I've seen practices where they'll say they'll do the quarterly audits. And if they have a staff member or a couple of staff members who are, you know, who haven't, let's say, are, are 30 days out of compliance, they'll say, okay, now every th- every three months, every two months, I'm gonna go and audit your files. And for next six months, that's what we're gonna be under until I see an improvement. And like I said, the result is that within six months, you can be in pretty good shape if you start implementing things like that. And and just to add, you know, even if you are not a manager or a supervisor or a group practice owner, you're a solo practitioner, you still mm-hmm. need to be doing this as well, even if it's just mm-hmm. you. You know, and I say that because I think sometimes when people are in private practice or, you know, when you were working at an agency, the agency said, hey, it's your responsibility to have X, Y, and Z in your file. But then in private practice, you're the person who's supposed to know the stuff. And sometimes um, people I find tend to be a little bit looser and perhaps not have all the stuff in there um, because there's no one handing it to you, right? And so just because you're in solo private practice, that doesn't mean that you don't have to follow certain requirements. It means that you don't have someone above you saying, hey, make sure this is in your file because it's now your responsibility to know what needs to be in your file. So even if you don't have anyone that you're supervising, you need to be in charge of your practice, in charge of your files and your caseload to make sure that in fact, you're following best practices and have things in your chart. Yeah, and by the way, if you're a contractor for a practice, Guess what? If the insurance company audits, they might not audit the practice. They might only audit you, right? That's the thing is that they could decide to trigger an audit for the entire greater practice if they really find stuff wrong. But if there is an issue or insurance company believes that a specific contractor, if there's something that flagged their attention, 
they will start with that contractor. So if you are a contractor and do not own a practice, your files could be audited and it is you who could get in trouble because you are an independent contractor. You are your own business entity separate from the larger practice. So it is very possible to be an independent contractor, not have your own practice per se, be seeing clients for another for another practice and still get into trouble. So yes, to your point, Mosa, whether you're a solo practitioner who has nobody else, you know, in some cases that's even more so why you should be doing it because you don't have anyone else kind of looking over your shoulder telling you to do this. And so if something goes wrong, you and all you alone will be the one that gets in trouble. Or if you're like a contractor, it could be that you and you alone is going to get in trouble. If if the practice itself and the owner can say, hey, look, you know, we've done everything right. This one contractor, this is, I don't know, they're rogue. They're doing their own thing. You know, we're not responsible. You know, maybe that'll fly, maybe not. But I guarantee you the insurance companies are going to start with you. So, yeah, absolutely. I think this is something that all practitioners, if you are seeing clients and you are billing insurance, it is beholden upon you. It's just like anything else with your license. This is just part of your ethical duties is to make sure you're reporting correctly because there are the there is the risk, rare, but still the risk of fraud, right? Which is criminal. There are civil charges. There are, you know, or it could bury a practice. I mean, and that was to your point earlier. I meant to say something as well, most is the the likelihood is less that it's going to be fraud and more than insurance company is going to say, yeah. Okay, we build you build us ten thousand dollars. We paid you ten thousand dollars. We don't can't justify the billing, so we want that money back. Well, that could force your pra- practice, depending on the amount, into bankruptcy. And we're we're saying this with the belief that you are not the person who is intentionally yeah. billing for services that you have not rendered, because people have done that. But we're assuming that if you're listening here, that's not you. Correct. If you're if you're spending the time to listen to me talk which you have to pay me to want to do as well. I, I, so if you're willing to do this, I'm willing to bet then that you're someone who's conscientious and wants to do the right thing and is trying to figure out how to do that. And I commend you for that, right? The other thing I want to say is it doesn't have to be scary. Too often the emotion that's triggered by the word audit is people get terrified. Oh my God, I'm on it. Oh my God. It doesn't need to be that way. This is so that we can help you and you can help yourself to take that fear off the table. Right. So at least by now, hopefully you're like, okay, I accept insurance or the agency where I work accepts insurance. I need to know exactly what goes in my file. Hopefully you already know what that is. Um, But one step already that you can take is to make sure that you have the audit tool for that particular Mm -hmm. insurance company. So you know what the expectations are. Unfortunately, Dan has another really good resource for us. So that way you have an idea of what needs to be um, in your chart as well. Yeah, there's a really cool tool that's on the Office of the Inspector General. That is the federal government. The website is, let me see if I can pull this for you. It is, it's oig.hhshealthandhumanservices.gov slash compliance. You know, and we'll we'll put that on our Facebook page. Uh, Actually, we'll do that. But what they, if you go onto their site, they have something that's a, a statistical software. You can download it's free. Um, it will help you determine to make sure that your billings are matching what's being billed to insurance companies. It's um, pretty good. I have not personally used it, but I know several practices who, who have, and they've said they like it, um, and it's been recommended. So you play around with it, check it out. You know, I think the best 
thing is if you start saying, okay, I need to put something in place. I want to get on this and start doing it. As Melissa said earlier, we said earlier, you're already ahead of the curve, right? And to Melissa's point that she had with those conversations with those insurance companies, you're not going to get told to go away if you call up your insurance companies you bill with and say, hey, look, I want to make sure I'm doing this the right way. You know, I want to make sure that we're putting in, we have a compliance program in place that allows us to make sure everything's being done correctly. Can you give me some pointers on things we need to, you want to make sure that we have in the file? You know, hey, can you give me your, uh, uh, the, the, the kind of considerations you take into account when you're going to do an audit, just so I can, we can be prepared so we can have our files up to snuff. I think most of the time you're going to find that that's going to be positively received because it shows that you're actively making this a priority and taking this seriously. And in their minds, that means you're less of a risk, right? Because they know now that you're not the one of the people who's out there doing what you shouldn't be doing or trying to hide it. You're one of those people who's trying to actually make sure everything is your T's are crossed and I's are dotted, as we often say here. Yeah. And again, in doing that, you're going to the source of information, right? You know, sometimes again, in, in our field, stuff gets circulated through the rumor mill. Um, and there are things that I sometimes hear, you know, this insurance won't let you bill for this code, uh, or they're doing a lot of audits. If you're billing a lot of this code and some of those, sometimes the things that people are saying are things that I have not personally experienced or heard of in my area. So sometimes these things might be regional. They might depend on a particular insurance company. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I hear people saying, well, they won't bill for this particular treatment modality when I've like never heard that from any particular insurance company, you know? And so sometimes these things just start circulating in our community, but by speaking directly with that insurance company, you can get ac- more accurate information than uh, going by what you're hearing in the community, you know, and some of those things may be true, but they may be true only for a particular insurance company or a particular region. So you always want to go to the source. I've heard that. I've had consultations with clients where they, they where there was an audit received and they said, well, I don't understand why they're asking this because I heard that they don't, this isn't even something that they worry about. And I'm always like, well, apparently they do care about it because it's right here in the audit that they're asking, telling you that they're auditing you on. Right. And I'm like, it really doesn't matter what you heard because they're telling you that they care about it. It's here in the document that they that they've now sent to us. So to your point was absolutely your job as practitioner is it's not to listen to what other people saying. It's to listen to the insurance companies that you are actually billing. If they tell you these are the things we're looking for, then that's what you need to be making sure in your file, (laughs) in your file notes. I want to I, I want to make one more last point, and and that is just this: getting ahead of the curve. This is a good thing. This is a good thing. This is the kind of thing you do that a responsible practice owner does. And the goal here is not to give yourself extra work. In the short term, it might create extra work for you. The long term is it's going to create less work for you because once you implement a procedure for doing internal audits. Once you start getting things in order and you can say, yeah, I know within a 95 percentage that our files are, we're pretty good. Then later on, that's just something you just get in the habit of doing. It's going to become less and less, right? It's going to become less and less as your staff and you kind of get on board, get accustomed to making sure you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. This is going to make your life infinitesimally easier. 
um, and less stressful. So, and then you can feel at ease. Like I know, I know that I'm doing what I need to do. Yeah, correct. I think that's it for th- this episode. We, I think we've beaten this to death at this point. Have we? <laughs> we will, like I said, we are going to, at some point in another future episode, we are going to cover what are the steps you need to tackle if you do get an audit. Uh, and that's a very di- different discussion, obviously. But we hope you found this discussion helpful. We always, as of course, always welcome your feedback, your questions. If you have an audit horror story, you know, that it happened to you or you've heard, we'd love to hear it. Share your experiences. You can reach out to us on the web or on Facebook. Other than that, that's it for us. Um, I wish you well and, uh, and, and take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Protecting Your Practice podcast. Be sure to visit protectingyourpractice.com to connect with us, continue the conversation, and access additional information. As a reminder, the information on this podcast does not constitute legal advice. Listeners should contact their own attorney or paid consultant for all decisions regarding their own practice.